Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. All right, uh, welcome back uh, to the show, and uh, this uh, gives me tremendous pleasure to welcome uh, back really an old friend, but in addition to that, and, and an author, uh, a mother, um, writer, in addition to her cartooning, um, Jessica Abel, just very quickly, um, uh, the author uh, of the continuing series Art Babe, or it was a continuing series at the time, uh, from the late 90s, uh, collected into a ver- uh, several trade uh, trade paperbacks, Mirror Window, Soundtrack, she's also the author of La Perdita, uh, these are works of graphic fiction, she is also the author of two textbooks, uh, along with her husband, Matt Madden, uh, also a cartoonist. Uh, also uh, the author of Trish Trash, Roller Girl from Mars, which I don't think is available here quite yet. Am I wrong? No, it's only in French. Right only now. in French? Okay. Uh, um, more, which we'll, we will talk about as we get into this. Uh, Jessica, welcome to More to Come. Oh, thank you very much. Um, okay, obviously we're here for a very specific reason to talk about Out on the Wire. The Storytelling Secrets of the New Masters of Radio. Um, I'm going to, I mean, the, the the title does give you a clue to what, what we're going to be talking about. And I'm going to ask you to, to talk more about the book. But first, um, I'd love to know, I mean, you haven't been in, we're, we're doing this uh, interview right now in New York City. But of course, you've been in France for uh, a while now. I, I'd love to, to tell the audience a little bit about what you're doing and why you're in France. Um, I've been living in uh, Angoulême in uh, southwest France for three years now. I'm going to be there another, I guess we're going to be there another nine months or so. And um, I'm there as part of, I'm resident in uh, an artist residency program called La Maison des Auteurs, which is a part of uh, La Cité de la Bande dessinée et de l'Image, which is like an organization that has a museum, a comics museum, and a uh, a comics bookstore, a comics library, and also this residency for art, uh, animators and cartoonists. And um, if you happen to make comics and you want to apply for this thing, you can. It's open to applications from um, professional cartoonists from around the world. Most people come for three months to nine months around that range. But um, because I am a mother and uh, have two small kids, when we moved, we moved for keeps, uh, for a while anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, so we initially applied for a year-long residency, and we extended our mm-hmm. residency a couple times. And so we'll be in residence for four years almost. Well, as I recall, remember you were in Brooklyn before, but you're yeah. back in New York now. Yeah, just coming through to uh, talk about Out on the Wire. Yeah, and and so th- that's a perfect cue. Um, I'd love for you to tell our audience, I mean, it's a, it's a timely book. We seem to be in a renaissance of radio, online podcast storytelling um this book sort of is arriving at a really interesting moment uh i'd love for you just to to tell the audience a little bit more about just what the book is about uh well all of that stuff about it being super timely it was just dumb luck basically (laughs) because it takes so long to make the work that um you know i would have no idea what things would be like today um when i started the book and um i basically started working on it in late 2011 and started doing the research in 2012. And so there is a way in which it's, um, you know, I had an interview, I mean, an interview, there was a review on a, this really great, um, podcast site called, uh, the Tambre, And, um, 
they were talking about how it's sort of a time capsule because to them, because they're all about podcasts and like the new, 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 this is like the moment right before this next wave of podcasts mm. broke. But still, I feel like the the book is really not about, um, it's not so much about the the actual transmission medium of the content. It's not about whether you download it or you listen to it on the radio. Mm. What it's about is the stories and particularly about how the stories are built, how the great radio producers we have today, um, you know, Ira Glass, obviously, you know, among them, and, and he's a major, major feature of the book, but also, you know, all the people who produce Snap Judgment and Planet Money and the Moth Radio Hour and just the Moth, uh, you know, stage uh, productions and uh, 99% Invisible, all these are the people who are in the book. And they're all talking about how they do what they do and walking us through all the steps of um, audio storytelling and, and particularly nonfiction documentary narrative. Yeah. And the background on this, on this, of course, is that, um, I mean, when I first encountered your work, it was it was essentially fiction. But yeah, you've done journalism of varying kinds in the past. And there's a history in terms of your just involvement with this with this topic. And we'll talk about topic and story a little <laughs> bit later. But the, the, the topic being certainly radio, but really, I, once again, I know storytelling. But you did a, a, a book, uh, well, a, a short comic in 1999, uh, Radio and Illustrated Guide. So uh, how do the two work together? Right. So that is um, the the kind of root of this book is this book is a, a short uh, comic book that I did in 1999 with Ira Glass um, about how this American life was and really is made. You know, how, what are all the stages that they go through to actually literally put together a story? And um, it's a book that was uh, is still out there <clears throat> independently, and still sells through the This American Life website, um, and has remained, you know, steadily selling and being read mm-hmm. and being influential all this time. And that was one of the factors in coming back to it and saying, like, oh, you know, people are really interested in this topic. There, and I know that there's more there. I mean, mm-hmm. the book was only thirty pages long. Yeah. I couldn't say very much. And so, really, and then when I went into it, like that book is really about the nitty gritty how to like how do you what are like what's a story meeting look like and mm-hmm. what comes out of the story meeting and where do you go from there and how do you actually put the script together and what does the script look like what are the parts of a script um and when i came back to it initially i was sort of thinking i would do kind of the same thing but with more shows but then it almost immediately realized that that was just not interesting because um it would just be really repetitive because basically all these people work in fairly similar ways with mm-hmm. small variations and just be like, and this guy does this and she does the same thing. And so I got away from that pretty quickly and got into like what, okay, so, so we know what they do. We already got what they do, but, but how do they think about it? And what are mm-hmm. the um, conceptual pieces that go into it? What's important about the, the choices that they make? What is, what's important about the characters that they find? And, um, and that's really what I wanted to get into, especially since all of those things, like practically everything in the book, is completely transposable into other media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, comics. comics. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I felt like it's just as, as wide a, a field as it is and as wide an audience as it is um, for just radio and podcasting specifically, there's also just this wi- even wider way to look at it that this is for people who want to make narrative. 
And that's really where I've gone when I've started my own podcast, is like to try to and, really yeah, broaden it out. Yes, good. and indeed, you, uh, which I was listening to this morning, as a matter of fact, <laughs> uh, which, you know, which in a useful way recaps, you know, real important parts uh, of the book. Um, I mean, so much, I mean, the book, we are, we are in this period where it seems to be narrative storytelling, narrative uh, journalism, journalism, um, I mean, is there a name for this, um, for the story? And I'm talking about like This American Life, obviously, and Ira Glass. I'm actually, weirdly enough, not a big podcast listener, though my, my lovely wife and friend of the show um, is a huge podcast listener. But I did get hooked on Serial, for instance, uh, and actually a subsequent podcast uh, that's sort of based on that uh, by the, um, uh, uh, the Undisclosed Pod, which is sort of based around the the support group around the uh, the guy that was featured in that uh, the, the wrongful conviction. Um, but it, and it certainly borrows many of the kinds of strategies and approaches that you that you talk about in the book and that you hear in This American Life, which seems to have be where a lot of these shows ha- have come from. How did you go about writing a book about this, or really doing a comic about this? From the book, it seems like you have spent an awful lot of time around these people. Uh, I did, but then um, I did spend a lot of time interviewing, and especially with Planet Money and Snap Judgment, and with, you know, many years ago with This American Life, I spent, you know, like a big chunk of time working with them on, you know, looking at how they work on various stories and things. With other people, though, they were just kind of long, in-depth interviews. Once I kind of knew what it was that I wanted to get into, you know, mm-hmm. I, and and going through that process with Ira initially and then with the Snap Judgment crew and whatever, it's like I knew that there were certain pieces that everybody talked about. You know, everybody talked about character, everybody talked about voice, everybody mm-hmm. talked about... You know, and obviously you have to figure out how to make a structure for a story, and that's a big deal. And so I would ask about those specific things. And my actual writing process was, well, let's just say I was in the German forest for a long time. Well, that, that's obviously a, a part of the book. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, in, in many ways, and, I, and I'm jumping around here, uh, it's a story about, how, you know, how do you make sense of a, like an, of a, a morass of information uh, and content that either, either you collect or you produce yourself to to make some sort of artistic whole. I mean, there are certainly lessons in this book for I think any creative person to take away. Though it methodically renders the 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 process of putting together you know an audio program. It, it makes it look a lot easier than it is. Obviously, I'm not sure it makes it look easy at all. In fact, I would have to say just the opposite. It makes it look. Like you really got to make a commitment to doing this. Oh well, you do. Yeah, I mean it. But so I want to throw out something for you: the focus sentence. Maybe we can, maybe we can like start there and maybe go through some of the things you talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. A way to organize whatever it is you think you're doing into something right. interesting. Right, and this is actually what in the first episode of the podcast I go back through the focus sentence, the X Y story formula. Mm-hmm. And um, and and then try to break it apart a little bit. And then what we're actually doing right now this week is um, people who have joined the group, who have a working group, they're actually posting their story ideas. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's this, I'm sorry, that's the second episode. And mm-hmm. so the second episode, all the people who are posting their story ideas mm-hmm. this week, next week are going to go and actually apply that. No, this is from your podcast. From or, my podcast. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. So oh yeah. So let me mm-hmm. let me reel back just yeah, a little bit that's here. Fine. So the. The focus sentence in the book, and this is something that comes from Rob Rosenthal, actually comes from Todd, I think his name is Baffin, 
um, via Rob Rosenthal. It's something he read that he teaches. So it goes like this. Someone does something because, but, and so you have a protagonist, someone who does, who's in action, who's in motion, there's a life happening, and there's a reason why that thing is happening. You know, there's a, a motivation, an internal motivation for that, but that means there's a conflict. That means that mm-hmm. there is a, uh, a problem to overcome. There's an obstacle, which is basically it's a narrative arc in, mm-hmm. in a capsule. Now, um, so, so that's in the book, mm-hmm. and I talk about that a bit in the book. Mm-hmm. Then also I'm, doing, I'm talking about that a whole lot in episode two of my podcast, which comes out a week from Monday. How often? How often do the uh, the, the regular episodes? episodes will be every two weeks, and in uh-huh. between we're having workshop episodes uh-huh. where we're okay. actually talking about work that's going on mm. with people mm-hmm. who are, who've joined the working mm-hmm. group. So we get into it a whole bunch more in there, and then I'm going to get people to work on it. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how people actually implement it. You know, mm. like I learned this in this class. You know, because Rob Rosenthal is a teacher, and he was teaching this to his students. But like, how do people actually? take it and use it and uh, lots of different people with different kinds of stories like how, what are they going to do with it it's going to be really interesting to see what happens now I forget exactly what, where he shows up in the story now you, you mentioned this place the transom workshop yeah is that um, where that seemed to be a place I mean one of the th- interesting uh, things about the book to me is that I mean you do follow this cast of producers and and to some extent how they how they have been produced themselves. Uh, I mean, this American Life seems to be the font of many of them, uh, or, or an orbit around them, mm-hmm. uh, or well, let's say National Public Radio. Then um, they seem to come out of that, though. Very often, they're trying to do something very different than what you actually hear. So, I mean, is I mean, the it's, Transom it's kind of, Workshop part of what you're talking about? The here? Transom Workshop is a um, workshop. It's a class mm-hmm. that you can take, um, you can apply to take. It's hard to get mm-hmm. into. But um, it's an eight-week intensive that takes place in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. Um, and transom.org is this wonderful site, really, really... Um, it's like grad school online. I mean, it's got everything, and all the best people write articles, including me, by the way. Yeah, I have a new course. piece up there. But, the, <laughs> um, but it's really, really... I was super honored to be asked to do that. Anyway, so transom.org runs the transom workshop, and Mm -hmm. Rob Rosenthal is the teacher of the transom workshop. He has many, many years of experience um, teaching at at the Salt Institute, which was the only place, I think, to learn this kind of storytelling previously. I don't think they do it anymore. So he's doing that transom workshop. So basically, I visited the transom workshop, and I was there for a class, and I just asked a few questions while they were working, because they mentioned the focus sentence, and I said, well, what is that? And they kind of explained it, and this was, by chance, like the first... Thing I did in my research practically. Mm-hmm. And so I was just, I, I thought, wow, that's just so useful. And then I took the focus sentence to all the people in who I interviewed afterwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, have you heard this? What do you think about it? And they're like, yeah, it sounds okay. I don't know. There's this really like, I don't want to reduce what I do to that, mm-hmm. you know? But it turns out they all seem to have some variation. Mm, no? I, mean, I don't think what, they really do. I mean, I think uh, that the XY story formula is something that I think um, that's what Alex Bloomberg teaches mm-hmm, in his classes, right. and some other people use that in his in their yeah. classes as well. And that's the, that is, I'm, I'm doing a story about X, and what's interesting about it is Y, the letter Y. Right. So mm-hmm. those, it's variables that you fill in. Right. Um, and again, I talk about that in a much more... But it it's, does it's, seem to me to so be some people use, organizing. It's totally organizing, and it totally, it totally helps. But if you're really good at this, 
and you mm. y- you invent new stories all the time, yeah, well. thinking about them in this way can feel reductive. Mm. It can feel like you're taking away something that's great about the story. And I mean, you are, if that's all you have, but that's mm-hmm. not, that's just a, mm-hmm. it's a seed out of which things grow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I'm talking to like Soren Wheeler of Radiolab, he's like, ah, oh, I don't yeah, yeah. know. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's not really, yes, of course you have that, but that's not it. That's not the heart of it. That's not what makes the stories great. Well, which and, is all and, fine. and I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. But it's, but it's like, it's a the, way to start. These are the, exactly. And then these are the principles that I, to me float to the surface of the, of this book because they all have very, very intensive ways. And we'll, at some point here, we'll, we'll have to get into the group edits and, and uh, the very intensive ways of, of getting these stories out. But these people do these stories over and over. I mean, the different kinds of stories all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't necessarily think they're using this, but I think for the kind of book this is, for the I kind the of... I only, think the only danger is... Beginner. At, yeah, I think for beginners or just, even for me, like mm. thinking through in terms of the focus sentence, even when I'm halfway through a project, can help me clarify what I'm doing. Sure. You know, Absolutely. it can help me focus, literally think, what am I telling a story about? What, what, what yes. I, all this yeah, pile no. of stuff, what does it mean? And it doesn't mean that then I write that into the script, but it's like... It's it's part of my process. Like I can use that. I'm somebody who likes tools like that, and so that's sure also sure. me. But what what I would say about it is that one of the dangers of writing something like that, mm. of explaining this idea, is that people then go take that and they say like, okay, I've got the answer. Here's what it is. Done. You know, and they don't understand that. So that's this just, is just your the starting point. <laughs> and you got to find the special sauce. Sure, like, you got to go a lot further than that. Yeah. That's the danger. You know, it sounds like it's it's a formula that makes it sound easy, which can help people get into it. But then once you're in it, you're still in it. You still yeah, have yeah, to go yeah. through the whole pa- process. Which makes me want to return to another, what I think is an organizing principle, and a really basic one. But I think in the context of what you talk about later, it's very interesting. The difference between topic and story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is talked about in a book. Could you comment on that? I mean, they're, yeah, they're very yeah, basic. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, the, they're not the same. They're they're not the same. <laughs> I mean, a topic is the general thing you're doing your your story about. So mm-hmm. you have like, um, you know, uh, well, New York City would be a topic. Well, that's a really big topic. But you could even <laughs> say like, um, the I'm doing a story on the comics department at Publishers Weekly. Mm-hmm. That's a topic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you could find, I'm sure, very interesting yeah. stories mm-hmm. here. But um, the just to say I'm doing a story about the... It, it doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't tell you anything about what you're, where you're going. That, and that's the, the, the XY story formula. The X is the topic. I'm doing a story about the Publishers Weekly Comics Department, and what's interesting about it is that Calvin Reed has this deep history with comics and comes out of contemporary art, and... Okay, there you go. It's right, right. I'm going to tell all of Calvin's secrets here. There you go. No, well. but I mean that, the, you know, that uh, you... Enough about me. You, yeah. no, you... <laughs> Need to have some stories written about you. That, yeah. Yeah, well, that's that. Well, that's flattering. But but let's talk about you here. Um, so and that's yes, why you, it would be hard. <laughs> you illustrated. You, you certainly. Yeah. In fact, what is it? This is this these this this topic. The topic and story comes up at a point where yes, where in the book we and I forget exactly what was it, but our glass brought it up to describe. Just the beginning of how. And once again, another organizing. Uh, but whether you're doing stories about comics or about me, which. Someone might be interested in. You know? Oh yes. But um, th- that said, this is I'm what coming happens. For you, Calvin. Yes. Okay. Well, that's another <laughs> podcast entirely. 
this is the kind of stuff that interests me um, uh, about the book. Uh, these, uh, because I think also that these are there are principles here for almost any kind of artist, even as a, for a gallery artist. And and this brings me to another point. Uh, there's a lot of rules that are talked about and scoffed at at the same time. Um, the uh, the guy that does uh, Snap Judgment, Glenn, I mean, there are there's a section in the book where he's sort of rebelling against uh, something you're talking about. Uh, there's another part where you talk about, um, the, you know, the, a narrative. Narratives are sequences, uh, and at some point there's reflection. Mm-hmm. There has to be. Now, I actually think that that's a really good point for radio, even though I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I think that's one of the, the brilliant things about NPR type shows is that yeah you get some stuff and goes on but then there is some discussion of you know why are we doing this uh, yeah. but he seemed to think that that was like corny well if cor- I'm corny wrong. corny is one part of it but he what he's more concerned about I think is that it con- it's controlling it's like yeah. here's mm-hmm. what you should take from this it's telling the listener what to take from it yeah and um, there's a big piece of his objection which has to do with the um, uh, the the fact that often reporters are from a higher socioeconomic level than their subjects. And so interpreting their um, actions for them is, in some senses, deeply problematic. Mm -hmm. And he wants people to speak for themselves. He wants wants radio to let people Mm -hmm. tell their own stories. And he wants listeners to be able to hear their, you know, to to make their own decisions about what's going on. All of which I find completely valid. I don't think that... um, the mere idea of reflections, especially when you have the person who is the subject of the story doing the reflecting, like that's not an inherently a problem, I think. Um, and I think that he, he is okay yeah. with yeah, that. Yeah. But no, he, what he doesn't want is the reporter saying, and what that means is blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, no you, you, you're being much more clear about it than I was. But yeah, he, he, he really objects to sort of inserting ideas into the, the listener's head. As right. opposed to finding what, you know, letting the listener kind of find his own way through exactly. the story. Exactly. And he does object to the idea of having people, you know, ponder what their story means and tell us about it. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's not that crazy about that. Yeah. I think he lets it happen a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's... He really wants action in his stories. He wants people to show what they understand via what they do. Yeah. Um, Which goes back to your thing earlier of saying, like, about these stories, these shows being so different from each other. And they really are. There's this moment at the end, and my editor actually found this moment for me. It was, like, mm-hmm. this great transition in the mm-hmm. in the preface. So what I did is I reprinted the large um, majority of Radio and Illustrated Guide in the preface of the new book so that you understand how the stories are put together mm-hmm. before you read, like, why. Um, and there's a thing right at the end where I say, wait, we just got, gave everybody all these rules. I say to Ira, and the cartoon Ira, mm-hmm. just gave people all these rules, and now you're saying the rules don't matter? And he's saying, well, no, I mean, basically, anybody who uses these rules, they're just a, a structure, and with their own point of view, their own voice, their own interests, their own taste, it's going to come out completely different. And that's exactly what has happened. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Now, could you mention some of these stories again? You did, uh, you mentioned a couple, but the, uh, of the shows that you really investigate in the book. All right, so Snap... And, and their differences, Right, too. so Snap Judgment is mm-hmm. one of the main shows. I, I, I spent several days with them. Um, Glenn Washington mm-hmm. is the host. There's um, a whole uh, crew of, of producers on the show, and many of them show up in the book. And what they do is... Um, basically, they do first-person storytelling. Hmm. So it's partly memoir, uh, you know, historical stuff, 
there's some fiction in there. Mm. You know, they mix it up a little bit, but really they're interested in uh, very emotional and really propulsive storytelling, but they also soundtrack top to bottom. Mm-hmm. It's, there's music and, uh, and sound, sound effects. Sound effects. A, uh, yes. They're very dramatic. Yeah. Um, it's a great show. Yeah. Really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also spent my wife loves it. Actually, I haven't listened. I've listened to a little bit of it, but oh, you would yeah, love it. I got it. Yeah. I got to get my act together, but yeah, <laughs> it's hard when you're writing. It's really hard to listen to podcasts yeah. because and yes. you write all the time. <laughs> like I, I listen to podcasts all the time when I'm drawing comics and then like, I go for months without barely listening to any when I'm writing, because I just, I can't do both, you know? Well, it's funny, I, I I became really hooked on Serial, and I was sort of dubious, but I was so curious from reading about sure. it. Sure. And I became really hooked into the point now that I have, I've transitioned to this new podcast. Yeah. Which is a lawyer's podcast, essentially. Listen, <laughs> if you... There, I could give you a bunch of recommendations. Well, believe me, <laughs> believe me, my wife gives me recommendations all the time. I yeah. don't know, but I, I can't even describe why. But I mean, I I became invested really in the in yeah. the central character in Sierra because I do believe he's wrongfully convicted. In any event, uh, but even though they use some of the in the undisclosed pod, they use some of the techniques. I mean, they're they are they're they're, uh, they're, they're lawyers, mission. yeah, and they're really methodically going over material. But they use music, you know, they, and which helps. Um, and they have this yeah. way of sort of pausing, and that reminds me of NPR that kind of lets you reflect on something and then they move yeah. on. Uh, but yeah, it's like listen to a legal brief. But they've got me in either way, <laughs> and they're good voices too. I mean, that's an interesting part about this. Uh, but you know, what's a good voice? Well, you know, there's something there's... different because the, now the woman that did uh, uh, Koenig, I found her voice mesmerizing. I mean, that was as much a part of that podcast. Well, look, I'm as sure the there content. are plenty of I'm sure there there are I mean, plenty she... of voices that will be better than others for any individual person. But like, you know, nobody would say Ira Glass has a voice that's built for well, radio. No, good point. You know, well, that's interesting. Important in the book too: narration yeah. and learning to sound like yourself. Now, it's hard. I'm doing it right idea. now. It's really that hard. That was very interesting. Like, this kind of thing, we can to- it's easy. You know, yeah. like, having conversation, <laughs> like, I'm totally fine being mm-hmm. myself, but it's really tough. Like, yeah. doing my podcast, the first episode, I'm a little... <sighs> like, it's, you know, it, and I'm getting better at it, but it's, it's written. It's a fully written, mm. you know, script. Like, at least the, the main yeah, episodes are. The workshop episodes will be discussion. But the main episodes are are, talk, are talking and, and the re- reading script. And so, and I have to read the script in order to get it right. You know, occasionally yeah. I can go off script a little bit, but basically I'm reading. And man, oh, it's it's hard. It's like really hard to get it to feel like it's coming from, you know, yeah. from oh, me. Oh, that it's just and it's, natural, that it's yeah. not over scripted. Yeah. I think I'm doing a decent job, but it sometimes takes... I mean, you can you can hear in the first episode. Like, you'll hear... And this is actually going to be interesting, too, just from a pedagogical point of view, that, like, you'll be able to hear the difference between the first and even the third, never mind the ninth, you know, episode. But the process, as I read about it in your book, of this, these natural-sounding voices is just... To me, it's so horrifically rehearsed. I mean, it's just relentlessly rehearsed and edited over and well, over, it is, or so it seems. At first it is. I think the, that, from the book, it seems as though they're really going over this, re-editing their, their oh, yeah. takeovers again and again and yeah. again. Um, it depends, though, on the, um, on the piece, and it depends on how experienced the person is. Hmm. 
you know, so um, in the book, I depict um, a woman who was at the time an intern. She's now a full producer. And in fact, apparently she's their go-to narr- narration person. They're like, she thinks oh, she does. Who is this now? Which one? Uh, Julia DeWitt. Mm, okay. Yes. And they, mm. they, she, she apparently has really gotten great at it. But um, in the book, she's, it's, she was doing her first narrated piece while I was covering this. Mm-hmm. She'd done one other piece that was non-narrated, so she was just cutting together tape. Then she was trying to write narration and figure out how to voice narration, and she spent all weekend, like, till wee hours of the morning mm-hmm. on a seven-minute piece. You know? Just every line, over and over yeah, and yeah. over. Basically, till she'd memorized it and she could say it as if it were just yeah. occurring to her. And, um, you know, other people I saw doing tracking narration there, I saw... Um, uh, Jamie, uh, Jamie DeWolf doing some, and I saw Anna Sussman doing some, you know, I mean, they'd do a full piece and that was whatever, seven or eight minutes long. They would take half an hour over it, yeah, okay. you know, so like mm-hmm. they, they would track two or three takes of each thing. You know, when I do it now with my producer, depending on the line, if the line's pretty easy, I'll take, I'll do one to three takes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about Ira Glass? He talked about it. I mean, he sounds completely, I mean, I guess he can just reel it off. He uh, can, and he's and you're right. His voice doesn't, but his voice is compelling. His voice is very compelling. It, you know, it isn't but he, but polished you, but by any to, means. But listen to Ira about this. He's mm-hmm. like, I took the longest of anybody you can ever imagine. He's mm-hmm. done this talk. You, you can find it online, I think, even. He's done this talk over and over again about this. And he uses this piece that he did when he was an NPR mm-hmm. reporter in the 80s or something like that, where it just is totally weird and unnatural and sounds like, <laughs> you know, um, sort of like the worst caricature of an NPR reporter. And he uses that as an example of, like, how he used to be and then how he... And he actually, in when I interviewed him, he said that he actually had done this... I mean, I know about the show. It's called The Wild Room in Chicago. It was a live radio show um, that was local. And he did it for five years. And he oh. said that he went into that with the mission of becoming comfortable feeling live, being live, feeling live. And um, he, he just practiced the hell. I mean, it's deliberate practice. You know, it's it's practice with a mission. And um, and he had a hard time with it. And of course, he's great now. He's amazing. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, his um, voice is sort of synonymous with, like, cool storyteller. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, his the actual character of his voice is, he just would never be the thing yeah. that you would imagine as being, like, yeah. a great no, radio no. voice. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm going to jump around here because there's just so many uh, concepts that I'd, I'd love to hear well, you talk should, a little bit more yeah, about. Yeah, I should say, just um, mm-hmm. in contrast to Snap Judgment, since you asked me about that a little sure. bit Oh, yeah, ago, sure. Yeah. Just, I talked to a bunch of different shows. Oh, yes, All yes, different qualities, but yeah. the, the main thing, the sort of the other end of the spectrum in some senses is Planet Money. And so Planet mm-hmm. Money is, a, is actually a um, sort of a spinoff of This American Life. Mm-hmm. You know, it was founded by um, Alex Bloomberg, who's now Gimlet Media, this mm-hmm. new, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, Adam Davidson, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, they do economic reporting. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to explain, you know, things like, you know, I don't know, like what happened in the stock market last week sure. or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, like they they started with the housing bubble. They started with the housing yeah. bubble. Mm-hmm. They, not the housing bubble. They started with the the collapse of. Yeah, the the subprime, the subprime market. Yeah, subprime I mean, yeah, market. and they're and loaning to right. It was their their famous yeah. episode, yes. their famous first episode yeah. is the giant pool of money. So, and they don't use music and sound effects within mm. the show. They cap it with music. There's music at the beginning mm. and the end, but they don't they don't fully soundtrack and mm. stuff. But they do use all of the other same techniques. They mm. use they they try to anyway. They have you know um, protagonists who go through arcs mm. and 
it's not always possible because they're working on stuff that may not have like a guy who went through this thing or a person. And so often they themselves become the character yes. and they mm-hmm. go through learning about something. They have a, a another famous um, series about Toxie, which was a toxic asset. Yeah. Um, and so they bought a toxic asset in order to find out what is a toxic asset, which we heard what about in the papers all the time. And, and actually went to all the people who were involved in it all the way down the line and figured out and went all the way down to who were the actual people who owned, who had the mortgages in this pool and who some tiny slice of it was in their toxic asset. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, so the the main characters were the reporters who were trying to, who were on this mission, Mm -hmm. you know, so they do that kind of thing. Actually, as it turned out, I, I, I've never heard the giant pool of money, but I saw the film that was made about their t-shirt which yeah. was fascinating. Yeah, and a big t-shirt was a great story outdoor too. film festival in Brooklyn actually. And although I knew about the podcast about the t-shirt, but the film actually was fascinating because it took you through the whole economic process of producing this and distributing it. Right. So this is this is another long series that they did. Um, it was a Kickstarter. It was a really amazing thing. And basically they uh, sent reporters to discover it's like they were making a t-shirt even when I was there, they were working on it. They were planning it, mm-hmm. but they had. It took so long to, to source everything that, that it took like two years for them to actually do the thing. So it was twenty fourteen, and I was there in twenty twelve or something. Yeah. Anyway, so they they went all the way back to the car- cotton farmer, who grew the cotton yes. <laughs> that got sent to the you know like every stage every of the way, and they the went all over the world of the supply chain as of the they supply say. chain. Yeah, and they and they <laughs> took fit, photos and videos and did all this stuff, and it was just an amazing you know storytelling mm, yeah. journey. And and of course. We buy zillions of T-shirts, way too many of them, and and uh, it, so it reveals very deep things about our relationship with other people in the other parts of the world, and like with our deep ties into the global economic system. And so that's what they do. They take something intimate like that, like the T-shirt that's in my drawer on my body, and they they draw lines and they say, this is what you need to understand about how you fit into the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's a, it's a fascinating program. Uh, and once again, I, what do you want to mention any other programs? You mentioned, um, snap judgment, planet money. Uh, the main shows that I talked about in the book are, um, snap judgment, planet money, the moth radio yes, hour, yeah. which of course is very famous here in New York, uh, because it's a main, yeah. it's a performance. Yes, it is a performance. And I but talked, I talked so to, <laughs> right, I talked to Jay Allison, who's the producer of the radio hour, mm-hmm. but I also talked to, um, Catherine Burns, who is the artistic director of the moth. And she was mainly talking about how they developed the stories in the first place for the stage. Mm. And, um, again, really interestingly, super parallel to yeah. the process mm-hmm. for, you know, creating a snap judgment story, you know, that the, there's, um, a director who's the equivalent of like the editor or whatever works with the storyteller to develop the arc of the story. It's told live, you know, there's no notes or anything like that, but it's rehearsed and they, they even have an edit, you know, where everybody sits in a room and, um, points out where they got lost and what didn't work. We're going to get to that. I want to, I want to issue about that too. That's a fascinating Um, process. Yeah. Uh, 99% invisible, um, Mm -hmm. uh, radio diaries and the transom workshop. Um, I think are the main shows. I'm probably forgetting one. That's all right. Well, um, and, and so I am going to jump around just to ask you some about some concepts that come out in the book. Um, there's a, there's an array of storytelling that you talk about here. Um, uh, but generally speaking, there seems to be some relationship to journalism, to really to nonfiction, not to simply making up stories or 
fictional recreations. And I was really struck by the notion of how you're supposed to sort of know what you want when you go into a situation, which for most reporters is antithetical to what you're supposed to do. I found this a very interesting strategy. How, as reporters, do you not fall into the bag of, you know, deciding what you should find? Right. Since that's generally not what reporters should be doing. Right, well, that's Scripted what... Scripted journalism. It's Yeah, Can and, that's, it and that is not... That's not what they're doing. Mm. I mean, it sounds like that's what they're doing, but mm. it, it isn't. And uh, yeah, there is some pushback among some of the uh, producers about. Uh, well, there there is and there what there kind of is and there kind of isn't. Basically, mm-hmm. everybody sort of agrees about this. Mm-hmm. Um, that and but okay, I have to, we have to go back to explain because listeners sure. will not have read this That's thing. Um, the idea is basically that, um, and it's introduced with a story by. That Ira tells about when he was a uh, cub reporter in the in the New York Bureau mm-hmm. in the eighties. Um, his uh, um, department head he was sent out to cover a UN panel that was going to release a report mm-hmm. on something he doesn't remember what. And um, his boss was like, "Okay, well, what's your first quote going to be?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm going to go out. I'm a reporter. I'm going to discover the world. I'm going to see what happens and put it together. And he's like, listen, you're going to be back here in four hours. And you're going to have like 20 minutes to put this story together. You should think think it through. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to, you don't know what the words are going to be. But you know what the structure of the story is going to be. What's what's the what's the main point of the story? Well, it's whatever the number of that was in the yeah, report. Right. So you, if you think it through ahead of time, you go, okay, well then... The, the head quote is going to be something. It's going to be this amazing new revelation of, by the UN. And so somebody's got to say that thing. So you get them to say that thing, you know, whatever it is. And it's not saying what the thick content of it is. It's saying that you have to get that information. And thank you for signposting uh, this concept for me. Yeah. Another concept that uh, you talk about, making sure the, the listener knows what the heck you're talking about. Right. Yes. So, yes. Anyway, anyway. Yes, exactly. So, um, that's the basic concept. And then mm-hmm. um, Robert Smith of Planet Money is very uh, funny and effusive about this. And he talks about how he basically writes tape in his head before he gets the tape. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he's, you know, he's exaggerating in some senses. Mm-hmm. But basically, he, what he means is, um, and this is something I'm going to go into in the podcast. There's this great thing that he talks about that... Um, it's like, we're not lucky, we're just good, is what he says. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is that basically he sets himself up for success. Yeah. You know, he he told a story about doing um, a piece about the Barilla Pasta Factory with Zoe Chase um, in southern Italy. Mm-hmm. And um, the the story was about the difference in, because there's a, the Barilla Pasta Factory has factories all over Italy. It has a big one in the north, big one in the south. And either they were going to find that the factory in the South had what you would expect, which is much lower production, because that's the sort of globally understood thing that, like, you know, certainly in Italy, but in many places, the South is less productive than the North or whatever. Or, and then that's your story, right? Why is that the case? Or it's not the case. And then why is it not the case? And so you set yourself up for success doing, you know, you you go in, you say, you find out what the truth is. You don't know what the truth is before you show up. But when you get there, you know how to ask the right questions in order to get the tape that you need. That's essentially what he's talking about in a more, like, 
minute way, he's like, I was doing a story about taxi cabs in New York, and I went out in a rainstorm, and there's a woman standing on the corner and asked mm-hmm. her about taxi cabs. I knew what I needed yeah. for the story. You know, I needed to find out what she thought about having extra taxi cabs. I didn't know what she, I didn't know if she was going to be funny. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if she was going to be awesome. <laughs> but I knew I would get that tape. And because he was saying basically like reporters who have the attitude that you are talking about, which is like, I just want to discover the world. Like you go out and you get like six hours of tape for a four minute story. You have to listen to all of the Mm. tape. You got to log all the tape Mm. and you may get through it all and find out you don't have what you need. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens all the time. It's happened to me plenty of times. You know, what's happened to me in writing stories? Yeah, I do. I cover the first day of Comic-Con basically by the seat of my pants. I walk the floor and find stories. Now, very often I arrange to have some stories, but sometimes I don't. So, I mean, this is not to record an audio, but to write a story. It's so, the same thing, though. But I do. I, I, I make sure I've got what I'm going to need. But I am kind of out there. I've got to get some stories. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, but you ha- you still have to get the stuff. Yeah. And you still have to, and, you know, Jay Allison, who's the, um, well, multi-whatever, multi-everything, he does everything, mm. but he in the, this context, he's the producer of the Moth Radio Hour, um, uh, he's, he's basically like, I don't like formulas, I don't want to be pinned down, mm. you know, sure, you can say the, the story's going to be about this, but once you get there, you may find out it's the opposite, like, mm. it's the... And and Iris says, yeah, I agree with that. It, yes, you you discover the world. That's the point. But you need to build a sense of, based on research and based mm-hmm. on what you know, yeah. build a sense of what the story arc is going to be, what you think it's going to be, and then be ready to change. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which gets back to the focus sentence. You build a focus yeah. sentence. You start with that. The focus sentence mm-hmm. tell you, tells you what questions to ask and what you need mm-hmm. for the story. But if you go out in the world and it doesn't match up, you rewrite the focus sentence. You don't rewrite the quotes. Yeah. Mm. I want to segue into how this connects with making a comic. Because as you read the comic, this documentary comic, I mean, I do. Th- you see these principles, I think, played out in your storytelling. Um, but you also see how you recreate some of these sessions, the editing sessions, for instance, Vincent, I thought was very visually interesting how you set this up with um, uh, various visual indicators of what you're hearing. Um, can you can you talk a little that bit That was a really hard one. That? Yeah, the, the edit session. So um, the last chapter of the book is about the edit. And, um, and I should clarify, as I do in the book, mm. this is not editing in the sense of like going through and clipping things together and cutting pits out and sticking mm. them together either text or audio. This is an edit, which is actually closer to what I call a critique. Yeah, sure. I, and I would, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's Coming out of art school, that's what I would call it. I think it's a more useful word, mm-hmm. actually, because edit is confusing. But yeah. that's what they mm-hmm. call it in the yes, radio world, is. so that's mm-hmm. what they call it. Sure. Um, but so the edit is where, basically, a piece is played, or, you know, in the sort of NPR model, you read your script and you play the tape. And you, you're reading it for an editor or for a group of people... And then they give you feedback on it mm. and tell you what um, they understood or didn't understand and what they need and so on. Um, and it can be very, very simple. It can take, you know, as whatever, five minutes after the thing, I need this quote and that quote and I need another number. Or it can take hours and hours. I, I mean, if it's, if it's This <laughs> American Life, they can work on a 20-minute story all afternoon. Yeah, it, and it seems relentless. Um, it's relentless. Even while they're telling the um, producer that, you know, this is really great. As they take it apart. <laughs> it's really... But that's how they get yeah. it to be the best, yeah. right? That's why these things are the best. Anyway, so so the 
the in the edit chapter, there's a scene where I depict an edit, actually a couple edits at Snap Judgment. And the way that I did that was to um, run the panels of that depict you know, small quotes from the story as it was played that day. It's not the final story. Um, I run them down the middle of the page, and then there are um, what you call transmission balloon edges. So it's like a jaggy edge as if you're hearing it as opposed mm-hmm, to, yes. mm-hmm. you know. So that, I did that, and then the um, the producers who were talking about it, and so how it works in real life is they play the whole story and then they talk about it. Mm. And occasionally they'll replay bits, but they're not playing it and talking at the same time. But in order to make it understandable, what I did is I took what they said about the story, in about that particular moment of the story, laid it down next to, as I said, there's a column of panels running down the middle mm. that depict the story. And then along the left and the right side, you have um, word balloons, but with no tails. Mm-hmm. And then I put the little tiny head of depiction of the head of the producer in the word balloons. You could tell who was talking. Yeah. Um, and then occasionally I would cut back to the room where they're yes. actually in the room and that would have a regular panel border and have word balloons within the thing. So um, that was a long process to get to that. because uh, Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's an ingenious yeah. way to do it. I, I don't think I've seen anything like that before, but I haven't seen a book about trying to break down this yeah. kind of group interaction either. Yeah, I and mean, the thing is that it's... I knew I needed to do a scene of this because mm-hmm. this is essentially to me, and, and I wrote about this in the Transom article that I wrote um, a couple weeks ago, this is the heart. This is actually what they do to make their stories as good as they are. Everybody who writes narratives knows about something like a focus sentence. Everybody has to do this yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. What not everybody does is collaborate intensively. Yeah. And so this really, this chapter is like, that is the key of the book. And I knew I had to depict what this edit looks like, like how hard it is and how helpful. Yes. You know? And so I don't remember what I was initially doing. I mean, I was going to have, you know, maybe cut in between things and show the How long did it take you to to arrive at this? I don't know. Yeah. It was late. That was late in the process. (laughs) Okay. And and my editor the whole time was like, I don't think this is going to work. I don't know. I don't don't think it's going to work. And I was like, it's going to work. It's got to work. And, um, and we kind of just left it there. Yeah. And she's like, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it works. Um, and I think it works in a good way because it, it sort of leaps out at you. Mostly if you read a lot of comics, it'll leap out at you because you've never seen this depicted. It, yeah, there's a lot of white space. Web before. Um, so. And in general, whenever I was depicting um, audio that was recorded, I tried to use a transmission box around it, so like a jaggy box mm-hmm. around it. Um, and that's an indication that you're listening to a radio story as opposed to listening to somebody talking, which is kind of a subtle cue at first. Mm-hmm. And that scene is not that subtle. Like, mm-hmm. you figure it out, I think, pretty quickly. But, like, there are other scenes where I have, um, you know, versions of radio stories that are, you know, ima- the, the images are imagined or whatever, and they they're depicted with those kinds of balloons. I'm not sure I was 100% consistent. I think I was, but... (laughs) Well, I'll go back and look again. Um, We're going to wind down, start to wind down a little bit here, but um, one thing I am, uh, and this is just my own reaction to the book, is that uh, as we talk about this uh, intensely personal vision, um, the power of group collaboration, um, and, and passion driving all of this, uh, can you talk a little bit about the role of taste? 
as we talk, and as these these are journalists of you know, we're we're establishing how this is supposed to be done. We're like rigorously editing it, and yet there seems uh, um, Ara and others bring out the point that there's got to be some. I mean, there's got to be something you got to believe in, and yeah, taste seems to be this Zen-like topic flowing. Yeah, through I, all I of kind this. of. I mean, it's Ira's word, and he uses it consistently. Mm-hmm. I don't like the word because it has these kind of the elitist, implica- yeah, elitist yeah, yeah. implications. But I do like it because but, I think the, the the end of this passion. I think taste is related to this passion that drives us. That, at least that's my yeah. No, I, I agree with that. It. I agree with that. I don't like it because it, I think it it gives people the wrong idea immediately about like what but I'm d- talking define about. Define it. If define it. Uh, well, or I mean, as I well, let me define, define it um, in the inverse, which is people saying like, "How do I know I have good taste?" You know, mm. uh, and I say, "Well," and, and to me, I say because Iris says like, "If you want to do this, you probably have good taste," which is like, "What?" That doesn't you know. <laughs> There's a lot of people who want to tell stories who just are not to my taste at all. You know, just do not like. I'm not interested in that yeah, stuff. Sure. And and what it what taste is is your uh, it's a it's a level of discernment within your interest. So can I help you a little bit? I think yeah. you say at one point, even on your podcast, it's paying close attention to what you're interested in. Yeah, it's paying attention to your attention. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. is what I say in the podcast, which is true, but, um, that I mean, that is your taste. It doesn't say anything about being good taste. No, but, and I, and, but yeah, that's yeah. the thing. And it's I like, think there's room for your taste to be whatever it is. Exactly, <laughs> but that's the thing, is like, the, the, the word taste makes you uh, feel like it's, you've got to show something. Like, you, yeah. ha- you have to get up to some level or something there's like that. There's a standard or something that, it, that is linked exactly. to it. Which I don't really mean at all. I think taste varies. Taste of it does vary, but that's the problem with that word. But, but the attention of, is a good of, word. of turning your own taste, uh, you, thinking of it systematically, getting a grasp of it, I, I mean, I think maybe we have a... When you're a professional, I think it, that's the sense I got out of it, sort of taking taste to another level. Yeah, <laughs> I, it is. It's it, but it is attention. I think mm-hmm. that's really yes. what it is. Yeah, it is attention because absolutely. it's like what is the thing that when when somebody talks about it and you're in a dinner party, you end your conversation, you turn to listen. You know what is the mm-hmm. thing that you really that that you can't shut up about. Mm-hmm. You know what what is that thing that and it's not one thing. It's a set of things. It's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of things. But if somebody starts talking about like storytelling. I'm going to get in that conversation yeah, yeah. and you're not mm-hmm. going to get me out, you know, <laughs> like that's my taste. And, and, um, and especially if you're talking about comics and like how comics work and, and all that kind of stuff. Like I, you know, we've had so many conversations about that, you and me over sure. the years. Sure. And, um, and what I don't, I mean, it's not that I don't love like the way comics look, but I don't love talking about the visual aspect of comics as much as I love talking about the story about mm-hmm. aspect mm-hmm. of comics or of anything. Mm-hmm. So that like I can I can spend tons of time talking about characters and how characters work and like did this uh, you know turn of events actually cause an escalation or was it misplaced mm-hmm. or how did this da 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 fiction nonfiction I love talking about that mm-hmm. stuff uh, and that's why I'm doing it mm-hmm. you know uh, that's why I'm spending all this time on it. And that's why I think people are responding to it, because they hear that in me. They hear my interest and my passion, and, and they hear that I've, you know, I've really 
gone He's way in on hung it, in you know? a heart about all of this. Yeah. On that note, I'm going to also, once again, ask you a question about the visuals. Um, because, uh, I mean, so much uh, of the, the audio storytelling we're talking about uh, is how the narrator works within it. And I'm curious about the depiction of the narrator in your book, which is you, and at times uh, Ira Glass joins you. And I am curious about the evolution of the the forms that you use. Well, it's interesting, you know, because that goes right back to the beginning of this project in 98 or 99. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how I thought of this. Yeah. It's probably from Ira, it's probably from um, Scott McCloud. You know, the idea of like a sort yes. of simply drawn, sure. mm-hmm. you know. Um, narrator to who then omnipresent, omnipotent. Yeah, but, his, but the thing that he does that I don't do, or, or that I did differently, is that Scott basically draws kind of everything, I mean, draws things in all different kinds of styles, but most of the sort of story elements of his of his books are drawn in the, basically the same style. Yeah. Whereas for me, there I, I created this distinction between um, the narration level of the story, where things are drawn in a very simple black and white style. In the original book, they're actually drawn with brush. In the new book, I didn't do that. Um... And then the things that are kind of quotes or things that are happening that I witnessed or recorded or whatever, it's drawn in sort of like more cross-hatchy, uh, naturalistic style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a visual distinction. Um, and I, that's akin in, in radio to narration and what they call actuality, which mm-hmm. are the quotes that they record and yes. use, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a hilarious word. I love that. <laughs> uh, so, so that's my narration act- and actuality break. Now, I I didn't respect that entirely because almost everybody in the book at one point or another becomes they enter the what I call the meta level. Mm-hmm. Um so Meta Jess was my name for my uh-huh. character who is the narrator yes. and Meta Ira and all these other people. You know, I would just use Meta to like indicate in my script like who was talking. And there were great sequences of the But almost everybody came the into that level. The, pulling the, the sculpture out of the stone, the the right. uh, the the, uh, the rowboat, uh the the German forest right that uh, allows you to to get a bigger understanding of right. a, a visual metaphor. So I actually need some help figuring this out because I don't actually I know when I know why I know when I used these depictions, but it's not one hundred percent consistent. And I'm I still I haven't quite formulated why I made the choices when I did. You know, like what I'm what I was going to say is basically like you know, somebody like Catherine Burns enters meta space at one point mm. and becomes the meta version of herself so that she can manipulate word balloons in the yeah, air. Yeah, like, yeah. um, that was my, uh, minority report mm-hmm. section. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but that's from, that is a quote from actually my interview with yeah. her where other times I depict quotes from that yeah. same interview in a more naturalistic yeah. style. So it's, because it's comics and it's not radio, I could take that liberty of just assigning a quote to the meta space or to mm-hmm. the actuality space as it seemed to function better. Um, and I, the other thing I did is I would often drop um, I would drop backgrounds so it's very white in those mm-hmm. sections. And also I would often drop panel borders entirely, mm-hmm. especially yeah. when they're full, full figure mm-hmm. characters, I would usually drop the panel borders. So all of those things help you be in this more. And the idea is basically that when you're dealing with me as a narrator and the other characters when they're in that space, you are rising up a level out of what actually is happening in the book and you're thinking about it. You're looking at it from the outside yeah. to a certain extent yeah. and, and 
analyzing. Yeah. It's an analytic space. Yeah. Um, and it's a crisply and beautifully drawn space. Both, oh, both of the spaces. Thank you. Both, both yeah, the spaces. other ones are not crisp. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's, a, it's been interesting. I mean, you're, you're, you've, you, you have a consistent visual style, but it has, it has nuance and life and you... Uh, Did you notice that all the backgrounds were drawn by Matt Madden? I did not know that, but I <laughs> I did not know that, but it doesn't surprise me. Uh, uh, you guys are a pretty formidable team. Yeah, well, he doesn't usually do that for me, but uh, it was necessary. For well, the deadline I, I'm, I'm sure the deadlines. Uh, um, we're we're getting almost to the end here, so I'm uh, we're gonna I'm sort of going to abruptly kind of bring it to a close. But um, I I uh, this has been a, an absolute and pure delight. I think uh, I met you in the Art Babe stage. Um, um, I think I think the first time I met you was when I in another time with another girlfriend when I was I used to come to Chicago all the time. Yeah, it was in Chicago. We were in a bar somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And you were reading Art Babe, and you said, "When you put out a trade, I will review it." I did. I okay. Did. Well, <laughs> I have it written down in my uh, in my notes still. And by golly, I did. Uh, well, you're an art mom now, um, <laughs> and, and and of course, still in Art Babe as as well. <laughs> But um, uh, it, it's really great to see you again. Uh, congratulations on the book. I think it's awesome. Um, I'd love to see Matt, too, and the kids. Hopefully you'll be back sometime when we can. Yes, well, we're moving back to this country uh, in the summer. So. All right, so there you go. We've At least to, then, if not we've before. Got a, we've got a target date. Anyway, uh, Jessica Abel, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you. It's been great. <laughs>